Welcome to the For the Throne Dynasty Podcast. Starring your defending champion, Randy of House Santarelli, Ryan of House Palmer, Logan of House Meyer, Tyler of House Para, Danny of House Sladke, Jake of House Hollyfield, Andy of House Pollock, Michael of House Sladke, Justin of House St. Peter, Steve of House Ellinger, Garrett of House Sturkin, and Will of House Larson. Welcome in to week one of our team previews. Our first team preview we are going to do this week is Team Backflip. And Team Backflip is owned by Tyler Para, who actually had the number one spot in our initial draft. However, Will, he didn't actually make that pick, did he? As I remember, I don't believe he, that he did. I believe that day he was looking to uh, get away from that pressure, and then hence he contacted you. And I got Saquon. How we're going to kind of break this down in this episode is we have four segments that we want to do. Our first portion is going to be all about our initial draft. This is going to be consistent with all of our episodes. So our first part is going to be the initial draft and the team's current depth chart. How many cuts that the team would currently need to be making and then who we individually would project that they would be cutting. So that's going to be part one. Part two is going to be some highlights from last year. Part three is going to be a look back at the 2019 season and how that went. And then part four is going to be the 2020 season with our quote-unquote projections. So we're going to get into the initial draft that Team Backflip had. Tyler traded out of the first overall selection, and he moved back to my spot, which is the 105. He drafts Melvin Gordon, even with us knowing that Melvin Gordon was going to be holding out. Obviously, it's Dynasty, so he was looking more long-term. Looking back at it now with the 105, and obviously we can't predict this from happening because sports are so unpredictable. Uh, He definitely would not have been a first-round pick in a dynasty startup this year. I'd agree. I'd say he probably would drop down to your second or third round. So, uh, you know, just looking back at that pick, I guess I'm kind of surprised he decided to go with Gordon. But it kind of makes sense to some regard because he's only, what, 24, 25 years old. And just for how productive he's been in his early on in his career. Now, he started the draft by going back-to-back running back by taking Le'Veon Bell at the end of the second round. And then he went right back-to-back with old vet wide receivers in Thielen and Julian Edelman. Now, before we even dig into some of these other picks, I think his goal was to get older vets. That's not good right now if we look forward at a dynasty that he doesn't have much youth at all. And we're going to talk about that when we get into his depth chart. But it's kind of a yikes that we're going to have to figure out if, if we're team backflip. I don't think a lot of us really knew how to draft for a dynasty draft like this, so I can't blame Tyler for doing what he was doing. I was personally the same way when I was taking my guys. Nine of his first ten picks are still on his roster, with the exception being his 501, which was Mark Ingram. He recently traded him away to Spaceballs, 
in a deal that landed him Brandon Cooks. He gets his first quarterback at 8-12 with Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan has been on PMT and Greenlight, two podcasts that I listen to now. He's just like a great person, and I've always respected Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan has an explosive offense, which will result in fantasy production. Yeah, as long as he has guys like Julio Jones and Kelvin Ridley on his roster, he's going to continue to be productive well into his upper 30s. I think he's 35 right now, so... Um, how many more years does he have left? I guess it's tough to say, but he does play in a dome. He does play in a pretty powerful offense. So I think that was a great pick on his part there at 812. He gets his first IDP at 901 in Daniil Hunter. Daniil Hunter was a top five IDP last year. Uh, I know you kind of thought it was a little bit of an early pick, but what did we know in terms of IDPs? We did know that basically Daniil Hunter was going to be probably in the top 10 scoring wise. The guy constantly scores like your typical six to seven points a game. And for an IDP, that's actually a pretty good score. What do you think about his 10-12, Latavius Murray? I like Latavius Murray just because he's kind of that back right behind uh, Alvin Kamara. He's still in that New Orleans offense where he has Drew Brees. I really like the pick, and I wanted to get your opinion first before I gave in. But at 10-12, I think that's really good value. He's a backup. However, he's still valuable when he gets the work and he still gets like passing downs even with Kamara being so good out of the passing as well absolutely and Kamara had a down year last year and I feel like Murray did get featured a little bit more so that is kind of a good valuable handcuff to have there um and he's still going to continue to hold value like I mentioned before if we skip forward a couple rounds and we went to the 17th he got Kirk Cousins as his second quarterback yeah, and, and not to mention that he's, he was in Minnesota, and he, you know, he's you know he got guys like Thielen. He had uh, Diggs last year. Um, again, probably not the best uh, fantasy quarterback out there, but on a week where uh, Matt Ryan's on a bye, you can still slot Kirk Cousins in there, and he'll get you maybe your 18 to 20 points. So um, he's not going to score points through the roof, but I, I still feel like Kirk Cousins is still maybe consistent for, like, uh, like I said, your 18 points a game. If we skip forward two rounds, then he actually gets Jamison Crowder through the Jets. And when we look back now, Jamison Crowder was a top 30 wide receiver last year. We'll see what happens. I know that our guy Denzel Mims is now in the Jets. In the 19th, that's incredible value, and it clearly produced. So he took Hayden Hurst in the 21st. Looking back, do you think he would have kept Hayden Hurst, or you wish he would have? I think maybe looking back, he maybe wished that he did. Um... Again, he was in that Baltimore offense, and I don't think Baltimore likes to utilize their uh, their tight ends quite as much. We had no idea he was going to get dealt to Atlanta, but uh, but now he's obviously on Stirk Daddy's team. Um, he's kind of in a great position for 2020. In the 22nd, he took Jordan Hicks from the Cardinals, and that seemed to be a sleeper for IDPs as well. Yeah, and, and just looking at his roster up and down, he had a really good draft IDP-wise. Like, the, you just look at his startup draft here, and between uh, Daniil Hunter, Levante David, and uh, Jordan Hicks, he's got some good, solid IDP pieces. Tyler, at this current point, has 14 of his 25 drafted players, excluding the rookies. So let's get into his rookie draft, and he had four picks. He started out at the 109 and took Daryl Henderson. I think he really went ahead and said, you know what, Gurley's hurt all the time. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to take a running back that has the potential to fit right in there. 
when Gurley was hurt, it seemed like the Rams didn't feature Daryl Henderson as much as we would have anticipated. This year might be a little bit different. However, they did just draft Cam Akers, so I think that Daryl Henderson could be a nice running back piece, and we'll see what happens this year to forecast out his future in Dynasty. Let's hope that he has a good 2020, but like like you had mentioned, the Rams just took Akers, but let's just hope that uh, you know Sean McVay actually has a plan in action for Henderson, and I'm guessing that he will. Um, again, not a whole lot of touches there in year one. His second and third round picks were both offensive players. Second, he took J.J. Arcega-Whiteside from the Eagles. Did not have much of an impact in his first year. Now, everybody's healthy in the Eagles, so it might be a very similar situation. We'll see what they actually feel about him and what Carson Wentz and his chemistry is. But then in the third, he took Miles Gaskin, who was a running back for the Dolphins. And looking back, there was really no excuse for Miles Gaskin to not produce because they did not have a steady running back there in Miami. Kalen Balazs was the guy, and he was bad. And when I say bad, that's an understatement. But somehow Miles Gaskin could not get on the field. How do you feel about those two and three picks? I like J.J. Arcega-Whiteside uh, just coming out of Stanford. But now you look at the Eagles wide receiver core, um, he was featured a lot towards the end of last year when the Eagles wide receivers were obviously banged up. Uh, looking here in 2020, I feel like he's got an uphill battle to climb. Uh, the Eagles just drafted Jalen Rieger, and they're going to have a lot of their guys back. So he's going to have to compete with Marquise uh, Goodwin, who's now a new acquisition that came over from San Francisco. So I feel like he faces an uphill battle. Miles Gaskin, I liked him coming out of Washington out of the draft last year. Again, had a disappointing uh, rookie year. And now that the Dolphins now feature Jordan Howard as well as Matt Breida, I feel like he's going to get buried even more. And at this point, I just think he holds special teams value. And then the last round, he took Jonathan Abram, who's a defensive back from the Las Vegas Raiders. And he actually had a pretty solid year. So that might have been a good value pick in the fourth. Let's get into his depth chart. We're going to start from the top, which is his quarterbacks. And he has three of them. So he's got Matt Ryan, he's got Kirk Cousins, and he's got Tua Tungo-Vailoa. Tua should sit on his taxi. Do you think that Tyler could pull him up at some point in the year? Yeah, and it, it all depends on what happens with any of his other two, but I don't feel like he needs to roster three quarterbacks right now, so I feel like the taxi is kind of the perfect place for Tua. Let's look at his running backs now. So starting running backs, I'll say every single week, unless they're on bye, would be Le'Veon Bell and Melvin Gordon. If you look at some pieces behind that, he has Latavius Murray, who we already talked about, Daryl Henderson. He did just pick up Frank Gore. Uh, he has Jalen Samuels in Pittsburgh, Miles Gaskin, who we talked about, and then on his taxi, he has James Robinson with the Jaguars. What do you think about his depth with the running back position? First of all, I feel like his running back situation is a little bit scary, especially in a dynasty format. I still feel that, you know, maybe Le'Veon Bell does hold some value. He's probably a sleeper for 2020, but again, that's a huge major if. Gordon's now in Denver, and he's going to be competing for touches as well there um, with uh, Philip Lindsay. Again, I still like Murray well into his 30s. Henderson might hold some value too. 
But just kind of after that, it's just a lot of head scratching. He did pick up Frank Gore through waiver wire. Uh, he spent a little bit, little bit more money on him than I would have <laughs> liked. But uh, it, it, it's still, he's still gonna have some value, I think. He's kind of, you know, Le'Veon Bell's handcuff. Uh, if if he comes out of, you know, this whole COVID uh, pandemic, you know, in great shape, um, and he's able to beat out some other players on that roster. Uh, I, I initially did have Jalen Samuels as being one of my advised cuts, but just for how inconsistent James Conner has been and just for the amount of receptions that Samuels had last year, he had 47 receptions out of the backfield. He didn't draft this James Robinson guy. He's on his taxi at the moment. I could see to kind of cater for his cuts, but I think he could ultimately drop Robinson and, and promote him to the taxi, Gandy Golden. If we look at his wide receivers, so his top five wide receivers right now are going to be Adam Thielen, Julian Edelman, Brandon Cooks, who we just traded for, Jameson Crowder, and then CeeDee Lamb, who is his new diamond that he drafted. And then outside of that, he has Alshon Jeffery. I've already stated that he's probably going to start the year on the pup, which means he would miss at the minimum six games. Tyrell Williams, he also has James Robinson, who he got in a trade with me. J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. Antonio Gandy-Golden, who he just recently drafted. And then Chris Conley. Man, it's it's a lot of, a lot of father years, it looks like. So he does need to get younger at both positions, it really even looks like. But wide receiver is the big one. So good thing that he drafted C.D. Lamb at the spot that he did. I thought that was really good value for him. What do you think about his wide receivers? So I'm going to call Tyler the Bill O'Brien here. If, if this was 2017, I th- I'd say his wide receivers look pretty decent. But like he had mentioned before, they all look kind of old. Um, Thielen, again, he's going to be the guy in Minnesota now. But again, I don't know. Uh, what's going to happen here in 2020 Edelman no longer had Brady throwing to him but I still think he's a hard worker and he's going to try to get featured in that offense there in New England Brandon Cooks is always injured I do like Crowder still kind of being that mentor for Mims he's got a great uh, wide receiver in Lamb but just kind of after that it's just a whole lot of huh maybe James Washington might might kind of you know surprise some uh chris conley he was a wide receiver of mine at one point if cd lamb can come out of this being a complete star then he has at least one wide receiver you can kind of get, get excited about now i am really excited about adam thielen this season because they got rid of Diggs, and even though they drafted jefferson i know that thielen was really really good when he was healthy last year brandon cooks as well on the depth chart he is labeled as the wide receiver one literally could happen because the only other person i could see being the wide receiver one is Will Fuller. Let's get into his tight ends, and he has four of them on his roster, and I think they're actually all pretty solid options, at least for this season. So he's got Rob Gronkowski. We know about the infamous waiver bid drop that he did where he lost essentially all his money. He also has Jonu Smith, who I've talked at length about how much I like his prospects now that Delaney Walker is retired. He has Eric Ebron, who just relocated to Pittsburgh two years ago with the Colts. He just absolutely went off in the touchdown department. He is pretty touchdown dependent. And then he also has Tyler Eifert, who is now the starting tight end for the Jacksonville Jaguars. So what do you think about those four tight ends? So he's got four tight ends right now, and I feel like that's too much the roster. Um, I've kind of made a note here for some cuts or some moves he could possibly make. I feel as though he needs to trade one of his tight ends. Um, Again... Uh, I know you're a big Jonu Smith guy. We'll see how what he looks like in you know, now that he's the guy in Tennessee. 
Gronk's gonna be as good as he possibly can be as long as Brady's throwing to him and as long as that is as long as he's healthy. I'm personally not a fan of Eric Ebron. Uh, when he was with Detroit, I remember he dropped a lot of balls, footballs, as I should mention. And I do know when I played for Pro Sports Extra, the the writer there, the my boss was a huge Lions fan and just completely always talked trash about Ebron. And then there's Eifert. I feel like he could get some value for one of his tight ends. Maybe acquiring a pick, maybe acquiring something of a need, maybe a running back, maybe a wide receiver. I guess that, that remains to be seen, whoever he makes a deal with. But I feel like he has maybe one tight end on his team right now, too many that he could maybe just try to deal. His kicker is Mason Crosby. Last year, he was the kicker 13. So let's move into his IDPs. And we already said this is 100% his strength of his team. So at D-line, he has Daniil Hunter and Jadevian Clowney. Now, Jadevian Clowney is currently a free agent. There's no excuse for him to drop him. So I think that he's a, pretty much a roster lock. What are your thoughts on those two? his most valuable IDP is Daniil Hunter. Um, Clowney does hold some value, though he doesn't have a team. Uh, he kind of drops it a little bit, but I, I'm willing to bet he's going to probably find a team within the next few weeks, whether that's in Cleveland or Seattle or wherever the heck he goes. He'll still hold some value there. One waiver pick that he made that I was so upset that I did not feel more money for is a guy by the name of Marlon Humphrey. Now, Marlon Humphrey was a rookie last year in Baltimore, and the dude just flat out balled. And he, he's a good DB to have on his team for the years to come. He's going to only continue to get better. Looking at those linebackers, he had two linebackers that were ranked in the top 20. First of all, he had Levante David, who was ranked 16. And then he also had Jordan Hicks, who was ranked the linebacker number two. So those are two nice pieces for him. He does have Alexander Johnson. Kenneth Murray on his taxi, who I originally had, and then he also has Zach Bond there with the Saints. I know that we both agree it's not really the most wise decision to roster numerous individual defensive players on a taxi, unless it's someone that has a lot, a lot of potential, or if you really don't have any other options. So I can kind of see that he's hosting them there because there's not really many other rookies of interest on our free agency if you look at the defensive backs then he's got three of them starting with Buddha Baker who was the DB number two last year Marlon Humphrey who you already made mention of who was the DB seven wow I didn't even recognize that and then also we have Jonathan Abram who we talked about that he took in the fourth round so what do you think about those other DBs that he has I feel as though uh, between Buddha Baker and Marlon Humphrey that he can basically start either or in the IDP spot, um, especially if Clowney doesn't find a team. I still feel like he should roster Clowney, but uh, uh, I, I do think that probably during like a waiver wire, he will probably look to see who's available there for DBs. There's still a lot of value out there that you know that are that's basically unclaimed. So I feel like he could maybe improve in some spots, but uh, again, it's just a whole wait and see kind of ball game. Let's get into who we believe. Tyler should be cutting and we're going to give ours each individually Tyler right now needs to make four cuts as we stand today so I'm going to let you start 
So the guy at number one that I think that he will end up cutting is Miles Gaskin, and we had talked about him before. Uh, he's just buried on that Dolphins death chart at the running back spot. I do feel that he's maybe one guy that he probably does not need on the team. I don't know what kind of value he's going to hold. We'll have to see what kind of a preseason he has, and uh, he doesn't really have to make these moves until the preseason is over. My first cut as well would be Miles Gaskin. Who's your second cut? The next guy that I would say that he would probably be cutting would be J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. He faces a lot of tough competition, and I feel it feels though that he's kind of a safe bet maybe to cut. Um, if he somehow does end up going off and having a great campaign, well, then that's just tough luck. My second cut is going to be Alexander Johnson, the linebacker. I think he already has enough solid IDPs, especially at linebacker. He doesn't need another one. So knowing that IDPs, we don't have as many starting positions for those, and the depth at the other offensive positions is more important. That's my argument for Alexander Johnson. I had Johnson on my list as well. Kind of a guy that I have marked down is Jonathan Abram. He was one of his last rookie picks last year uh, when we were just starting out. I feel as though he's got an uphill battle to climb. He was injured towards the end of last year. He doesn't need to have um, three DBs on his roster, so I felt like for those reasons alone it was okay to cut Jonathan Abram so I'm gonna go through my number three and number four cuts here my number three is Chris Conley I don't really think there's any way that he finds a big role with Jacksonville they did just draft one they still have DJ Chark and they still have DD Westbrook who are pretty solid wide receivers so I could see him cutting Chris Conley my fourth cut though that I'm pretty solid on right now is James Robinson who's on his taxi squad the only way I can really see him keeping him would be if he doesn't have another player to put on the taxi squad. Like I made mention earlier, maybe Gandy Golden isn't going to have an immediate role. He could be a nice stash on that taxi squad. Looking at Tyler's pick situation in 2021, we are expanding to six rounds. So he is going to have all of his picks. And I could foresee that first round pick and obviously the other picks being earlier in the draft so we could see them in the top six in 2022 he also has all six of his picks and then in 2023 he also has all six of his picks so we will see how he utilizes those going forward and if he accumulates any more we're going to be right back and we are going to talk about some highlights from season one and any other commentary that we have All right, so let's talk a little bit about some specific notes that we have, maybe some highlights of trades. So I'm going to start. He has so many veteran wide receivers, and I think he took the very first step at getting younger by drafting CeeDee Lamb, and I like CeeDee Lamb a lot. I wish he would have gone to a better situation, but I think he has extreme upside, and I think he's going to be the face of his franchise if he actually succeeds, which I expect him to do. I was surprised when... The Cowboys went ahead and grabbed him, and I felt like they, when they did that, it was kind of like a move at the Eagles, like, all right, now it's your move in a game of chess. He might end up overtaking a guy like Amari Cooper and taking some targets away from Gallup, but I'm just drooling right now at all the weapons that a guy like Dak Prescott's going to have. I took three of his wide receivers, and I averaged the age on them. The average age is like 29 years old. 
he doesn't really have a lot of young wide receivers and that window for their productivity might be somewhat short. So it's going to be very important this year for a guy like CD lamb to have a very, very good 2020, because if he doesn't, then he might be in trouble. To branch off of this as well. Now we're talking about veterans. One other point I have on here is, and I hope that he takes note of this if, and when, the losing starts early. So if he doesn't get off to a hot start, he knows he's not going to compete for a playoff spot. He may want to trade some of those vets, whether that be for younger players that have a lot of potential and or picks. Because when you look at his team right now, some of these wide receivers, they only have a limited amount of time left in high productive situations like Julian Edelman and Adam Thielen. And maybe even if you look at Le'Veon Bell, he's got to take that into consideration. Otherwise, he's going to be stuck in mediocrity for quite some time. And I don't think he wants to do that. It's tough for me to kind of predict, oh, well, he can maybe get like a first round pick for a guy like Adam Thielen. I I don't know if that's even possible just because of his age. I think he could definitely get a For Thielen, I think he'd get a first. For Edelman, I think he could get like a second at the best maybe like a late first but it's not going to be like one of your early ones let's hope that again he has a pretty good year and he doesn't get to that point i already made mention of this as well but he does have two idps one of which was undrafted on his taxi squad and i don't like that if he can find some sort of a positional player to put in there i think that would be huge and more beneficial in the long term because he already has so many solid idps I don't think he necessarily needs to stash them. Another point I wanted to make was there's a lot of uncertainty with Tyler's running back rotation. He does have Melvin Gordon. However, now he's in a timeshare with Lindsey. He does have Le'Veon Bell. Didn't produce last year. Adam Gaze is the coach. So there is some uncertainty there, and there's not many other options behind it. So I think that's kind of a cause for concern as well, especially when you hit those bye weeks. Like, Daryl Henderson running back two on a starting lineup? I don't know how I feel about that. But there is some uncertainty there that he might need to address via trade or whether that be in next year's draft. On that conversation of running backs, you know, we talked about Melvin Gordon. In a league like this, do you feel that Gordon is a running back one or a running back two at this point? I'd go high-end running back two. I would agree. Uh, I think low end running back one at this point is probably a ceiling. Again, he's got a good handcuff in a sense with, uh, with Frank Gore behind Le'Veon Bell. Looking back at his original roster, he made the choice to deal Mark Ingram. And I personally did not like that trade at all. I didn't um, either. Ingram, two thirds and a fourth for Cooks and uh, 309. I didn't like it because I, I still feel like Ingram's going to continue to be better moving forward here, and he's going to be a great mentor to uh, J.K. Dobbins there in Baltimore. So I still feel as though he holds value. I do get that he is a, a running back in his 30s, but I really liked him on, on his team, and I just could not make any sense of him dealing him. He dropped 90 dollars on Gronk in 2019 when he didn't even have a job. I think there was like some speculation about him coming back to the NFL and he didn't end up coming. Now, is it a good move? He still could have got him for literally like, what, $1 I thought it was? He kept him, and now he's going to be a starting tight end with Tampa Bay. Do we know why he dropped $90 on Gronk in the first place? Literally no clue. Maybe it was just kind of a goof or an, an error on his part, but it was kind of funny at the point. 
but he kind of looks like a genius now. Let's hope that maybe Gronk can get back to his uh, earlier self. We've talked about his IDPs as well, and Tyler had the best IDPs by far of 2019. I don't know if they're going to be on the same level that they were last year. However, I think he's still fully ready in the IDP area. It's kind of a good rallying cry for him to get excited about. We're not saying his IDPs are going to score a ton of points uh, right out of the gates. He also traded out of the 101, which looking back, he could have got Saquon or McCaffrey or Zeke. And those would have been better than Melvin Gordon. Probably looks back and says, man, I wish I did not make that move. I'm going to say this because I, I will be that guy. If I would have held the first overall pick last year, I'm not, I'm not lying when I say I would have taken McCaffrey overall. I think there was a lot of hype around Saquon after his rookie season. And then he last year, as we saw, he was injured some. A good running back would have helped him out a lot had he stayed in that spot. Maybe it was just a lot of pressure for him at that point, just starting out, not to make a mistake. He, he, he learned from it, and hopefully he can maybe find a back, maybe through a trade or maybe in the future with one of his draft picks. I got a trivia question for you. Are you ready? Yeah. What pick was Christian McCaffrey in our startup? In our startup draft, Christian McCaffrey was pick three. Correct. Behind, behind Saquon and behind Alvin Kamara. Isn't that crazy? That is just nuts. Tyler actually traded away two-thirds for a second this year, which, looking back, do you think that was a good trade to give away two-thirds for a second? I would say kind of just a wash-wash, in my opinion, because when you add the values up, it kind of equals each other out. And maybe he felt like with his quarterbacks being uh, Matt Ryan at age 35 and uh, Kirk Cousins at 31, that he could have had his choice between Herbert and Tua. And so, again, I feel like he got a lot of value there, but he did give up quite a bit just to get a banged up quarterback. The last note I have here is a trade he made with me. He gave away Tony Pollard, who is a top three handcuff running back for James Washington. He does get another young wide receiver. What did you think about that? I feel like running back is his weak suit on his team. And I, again, did not like this trade just on the fact that the moment that Ezekiel Elliott goes down, Pollard's going to get a shit ton of carries and a shit ton of touches too. He gives him up for a guy like James Washington, who uh, now he's going to have Big Ben throwing to him, but he's definitely not the same. Kind of just for everybody as we do these episodes, um, I just believe first and foremost that you initially need to draft well to just to avoid future catastrophes. There are some things that Tyler did extremely well, and that those, like we had mentioned, were his IDPs. His first 10 picks, he, he traded one of them, and they, they're all on his roster, so he did extremely well there. There are some things that he struggled with. Um, a lot of us in this league were in a dynasty format for the first time in our lives, so we really didn't know like how to, how to plan for any of this, but again, this is kind of a learning curve for all of us, and if we were to completely redraft our teams this year, I think a lot of us would do a lot of things different, especially with the players that just went off last year. It, it's clear that we, we, we did some learning from year one, and, and now we can kind of just try to fine tool and adjust our weaknesses and just try to turn them into strengths as we move forward. Again, what I love about Dynasty is the fact that we get to be our own GM. We get to make trades for guys. We get to try to make our teams better, acquire assets, just to find ways to, to be competitive. Our next segment is going to be all about Tyler's 2019 season. All right, 2019 season. So Tyler went six and seven. 
he had a really good hot streak of a four-game win streak. However, he also had three two-game losing streaks. He started off 0-2, so he lost to me and Justin. He also got swept by me and Justin. In the third week, he won by 54 points, which is a nice value against Taco, rest in peace. And his leading scorer was Mark Ingram with a 35-point game, so that was big. He lost to Randy by 30. <laughs> Jordan Hicks, the IDP, was his leading scorer with 16 and a half. No, no, but look at look at Randy's top scorer. Wayne Gallman. I think that was a week that Saquon was out. And with that, I made a note of, uh, because this is just so freaking weird. I mean, how can your IDP be your top scorer? And then just like that, Wayne Gallman, who we have no idea who he was, and he just went off too. So he started off one and three. He won against D Slatkey by 76. <laughs> <laughs> he played me in week seven. Mm -hmm. He only scored 90 points. But look who my leading scorer was that week. The Packers were the Packers were playing the Oakland Raiders at Lambeau Field. I think we all remember that one pass that he threw to uh, Marquez Valdez Scanling, where it was about a 90-yard touchdown. And Aaron Rodgers that week, guys, scored 53.76 points. And after week seven, he was sitting at two and five. <laughs> and that performance by Aaron Rodgers, according to the sleeper records, is the highest scoring performance we have seen in our league so far. Things you hate to see, that. He won four in a row, though. He rattled four off. He beat Ryan, Jake, Andy, and Garrett. The big ones in there is he beat Jake by 50, he beat Andy by 41, and Kirk Cousins was the leading scorer for three of those games. That was when he changed his team name to Skull Cousins. I couldn't believe that Cousins was just going off. That's when the Vikings themselves were starting to get hot too. But as we as we saw um, with the final two weeks of the season, things kind of started to change. And when he beat Ryan, his leading scorer was Latavius Murray. So that was one of those weeks where Alvin Kamara was out. So he went into the last two with a winning record. He was 6-5, and five and he lost two in a row to me and Justin. He lost to me by 27 and Justin by 3. I'm pretty sure there was a playoff seed on the line in that last week. Overall, mediocre year. He was 6-7. and seven. He did have that four-game winning streak when he was 2-5 and five to save his season. We're going to get into Tyler's 2020 season. Breaking news! Breaking news! We have a trade that just broke in the middle of this podcast. Cascade Bear has sent DJ Chark and a fourth-round pick to Ryan in exchange for Sony Michelle and Darius Slayton. What are your initial thoughts? How many running backs does Cascade Bear need? He acquires yet another running back in Sony Michelle. Granted, Sony Michelle's probably going to start the year on the pup list. And this is kind of a move that Ryan needed to make because he did finish runner up last year. And now look who he gets. He gets a young wide receiver. His ceiling is getting higher and higher and higher. The guy can be an absolute stud. He also acquires a fourth in the process. And he just deals away Sony Michelle and Darius Slayton. So right off the bat, if I had to kind of evaluate who wins this trade, it's Ryan. Yep, I 100% agree that Ryan wins the trade. 
I am having bad thoughts right now because I want Calvin Ridley so freaking bad, and I now know that Cascade Bear will not trade him, knowing he just gave away one of his young stud wide receivers. He's now lacking at the wide receiver position, though he just did acquire Darius Slayton, who is actually paired with uh, Danny Dimes in New York. So. so that's big news. Okay, our final segment here, we are going to talk about the 2020 season for Tyler, who he's playing against, how he's going to kind of filter through those bye weeks, and then we're going to talk about three different projections for record. We're going to talk about the sleeper projection, we're going to talk about my projection, and then Will's projection as well. So we're going to start with week one, and in week one, Tyler plays against Will. Sleeper has Tyler beating Will 152 to 148. Uh, and starting the season 1-0, I just went ahead and I looked at each week and who's projected the most points. I slotted them into the starting lineup, and then from that, that's kind of how we did these quote-unquote sleeper projections. Sleeper has Tyler starting the season off at 1-0. Let's get into week 2. Week 2, Tyler plays against Stirk Daddy, and Sleeper has him projected to lose by 15 and starting the year 1-1. One and one. Week three, Tyler plays against D. Sladke, and Sleeper has Tyler losing by six points, which would move him to one and two to start the season. When we get into week four, this is the last week before bye week start. Tyler plays against Andy. Sleeper has Tyler projected to win by three points, which would move him to two and two. We're going to get into week five, which is the first bye week. And the teams that are on bye for week five are the Green Bay Packers and the Detroit Lions. So Mason Crosby is the only player that's on bye. What I did is I also took the statistical average for kickers, and I gave Tyler that value in the projection. With everything in mind, Tyler is playing space balls in week five, and Sleeper has him projected to lose by 20 points Tyler has a two and three record after week five now we're going to get into week six so when we look at week six there are four teams on by the teams that are on by are the Las Vegas Raiders the New England Patriots the Seattle Seahawks and the New Orleans Saints so Tyler's players on by are Latavius Murray Julian Edelman so that's probably one of his wide receivers starting Tyrell Williams, Zach Bond, who's on his taxi, and Jonathan Abram. So his wide receiver, too, if he starts Edelman and Adam Thielen on a weekly basis, is going to be a combination of Crowder, Cooks, C.D. Lamb, one of those guys. In week six, Tyler is playing against Randy. Sleeper has him projected to only lose by two points. The reason for this is Randy's starting quarterback is out that week just by first glance. With that being said, Sleeper has Tyler starting the year at 2-4. and four. So let's get into Week 7. Week 7, Tyler is playing against Little Slads. There are four teams that are on by this week. There are the Indianapolis Colts, the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Minnesota Vikings, and the Tennessee Titans. Players that Tyler has that are on by include Kirk Cousins, which means he's going to be forced into Matt Ryan. Adam Thielen, so his wide receiver one, that's a little bit troubling for him. 
Chris Conley, James Robinson as well, Joe New Smith, Tyler Eifert as well. So he only has two tight ends that week in Gronk and Ebron. Daniil Hunter is on by. Assuming that Jadevian Clowney is on a roster, he should be able to slide him in. But at this current moment, you would need to fill in a DL there if Jadevian Clowney, for whatever reason, didn't get on the team. And that's it for his bye week. For Tyler's matchup this week in Week 7, Sleeper has him projected to lose by 13 to Little Slads, which would move his record to 2-5. and five. I'm going to hand it over to Will to take over on Week 8. In week eight, Tyler is playing uh, Jake, and that week, Sleeper actually has him winning by a little over four points. For bye weeks in week eight, we have the Arizona Cardinals, the Baltimore Ravens, Denver Broncos, Houston Texans, Pittsburgh Steelers, and the Washington Redskins. So just going down the line, Tyler looks like he would need to fill in an IDP flex there. Worth noting that just looking at who is on by that week, Buda Baker for the Cardinals, as well as Marlon Humphrey and even Jordan Hicks. If we go over to week nine, Tyler faces off against Ryan. Sleeper has Tyler being defeated by Ryan by 15, dropping him to three and six. This is even with Ryan not having a starting DB on his roster. The Cincinnati Bengals, the Los Angeles Rams, Cleveland Browns, and the Philadelphia Eagles are on bye. So guys of note that are on his roster that would be on a bye that week would be Daryl Henderson, a running back, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, if he's still rostered there with the Eagles, as well as Elshon Jeffrey. In week 10, Tyler faces off against Justin St. Peter. This is a week where Tyler is favored by 15 points. Four bye weeks, there's the Atlanta Falcons, the Kansas City Chiefs, the Dallas Cowboys, and the Los Angeles Chargers. So just kind of looking at guys that Tyler would have on bye that week, there's a guy like Matt Ryan. CeeDee Lamb will also be on by. He is still projected to beat Justin by 15 that week, which would bump his overall record to four and six. In week 11, Tyler goes back up against Logan here. And in this matchup, Logan is favored by six points. In this bye week, there's six teams that will be on by, including the Buffalo Bills, the Miami Dolphins, the New York Jets, the Chicago Bears, the New York Giants, and the San Francisco 49ers. Some guys of note on his roster that would be on a bye include Frank Gore with the Jets, as well as Le'Veon Bell, and even Miles Gaskin as his running backs. So he's going to kind of be forced into starting probably Murray at that spot. Jameson Crowder with the Jets is on by as one of his receivers. So it kind of makes his flex options a little bit more difficult there. With that, Tyler would drop to four and seven. In week 12, Tyler goes up against me where no teams are on a bye. In this matchup, Tyler is projected to lose by 14 points to myself, dropping him to four and eight. Kind of in this week, it's all about matchups. So uh, as far as the quarterback matchup, I would likely be starting Tom Brady against Kansas City, whereas Tyler would have Matt Ryan against the Raiders. So let's jump over to week 13. With NFL scheduling and for how dumb our commissioner can be at times, there are two teams that will be on a bye that week, the Carolina Panthers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That week, Tyler will be facing off against Stirk Daddy, where he is projected to lose by 10 to Stirk Daddy. Some guys that will be on bye for him in this week include Gronkowski, Tampa Bay, as well as Lon David, kind of a part of that key Tampa Bay defense. 
here he's projected to drop to four and nine. Tough sledding and a tough year for Tyler based off of who his players are and his matchups are as well. If we take a look, Sleeper does project Tyler to be four and nine. What do you think right now? I think that his ceiling is being six and seven. Now, will that be good enough to make the playoffs? It's honestly tough to say, but we don't know if everybody's going to beat up on each other this year. It's going to be tough for Tyler to be competitive this year. Maybe he can get lucky. Hopefully he can make some moves. If he starts to decline and we get to the trade deadline, some years it's your year, some years it's not. And my projection is I have Tyler finishing the year five and eight. So I think he does have enough vets to get him some wins, especially on those tough bye weeks. But I don't think that he's going to be finishing with a winning record take our projections with a grain of salt it doesn't mean that we hate your team it's just kind of like what we see on paper these players could go off and end up having great careers and great great years here in 2020 that's what we got for this week and next week we are going to cover team mrs burrow andy pollock and i'm sure that that one is going to be fun to talk about i cannot wait man we'll see you next week 